everybody. Welcome to episode three of The Silent Suicide. I'm your host, Jacole Martinez. So we start every episode by honoring my good friend Melanie's memory. Melanie, I know you're looking down on me and laughing and smiling. I want you to know I love you and I miss you very, very much. Also, I'd like to say a prayer for those of you listening tonight that might be considering suicide at this very moment. I want you to know that you matter, you're worthy, and you deserve to live. So today's topic is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. It's something that I could talk about for many, many, many episodes. But I won't bore you to death with that. I'll just keep it to the one episode. Uh, but I'm going to be talking about first responders, the heroes of the world, first responders in corrections, in police, fire, and EMTs. So let's go ahead and get started. So a little background about me. I have been in the corrections field for 17 years now. I have to say that I, for the most part, I would say 95% of the time, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my career. I absolutely love the liberties that it's given me. It's provided me a lot of opportunities to better myself, to get out into the community, speak on behalf of the department. And so I'm blessed to have such a great career. So how I got started, no one wakes up one day and says to themselves, I want to be a corrections officer. I want to go work in a prison. That doesn't happen. So how did I get into the field? Well, I'll tell you. I grew up wanting to be a police officer. I was raised in Mesa, Arizona, and my father was a police officer in Mesa for many, many, many years. And so that was my inspiration. I knew that the second I turned 21, I was going to join the academy. I was going to be a police officer for the rest of my life and everything was going to be great. Well, when I shortly after I turned 22, my mom came to me and said, you're going to go work for the Department of Corrections. And I was shocked and said, why? And she said, because you would be really, really good at it. And a side note, my mother also used to work for the Department of Corrections. And the only reason why she left is because my youngest sister was a baby at the time. And so she was at the prison more often than she was home. And she didn't like that. So she sacrificed a career she absolutely loved to be a stay-at-home mom. So I asked my mom again, why do I want to go work in a prison? That just doesn't even sound right. She said, you're going to love it. No problem. You're going to thrive. It's going to be great. So I signed up. I started working out and exercising like crazy so that I could pass the academy. And the rest is history, as they say. And here I am sitting here 17 years later, and you guys are listening to me talk about a very, very taboo subject. And I hope that my passion for the subject and the material is coming across in these episodes because I will continue to work for the department and build my nonprofit organization and build this podcast. And I hope to do both for the absolute rest of my life. So that's kind of the goal and kind of the backstory. Back to Corrections One. 
This article was written by a man named Mark Chamberlain, and he told a story about a director of a corrections department coming to speak to a brand new academy class on their very first day. So as Mr. Chamberlain is telling the story, he's talking about how the director walks in, doesn't say a word, and starts saying these words. 34% of you in this room today will end up with PTSD. One third of you in this room will suffer from depression at some point in your correctional career. If you're married or you would like to be someday, you should know that you are 20% more likely to end up divorced than someone who doesn't work in corrections. Now, for my coworkers listening to this, I know that statistic resonated with us. We've heard that our entire careers, that you're going to go through multiple marriages. And I'm a prime example of that. I have been married twice. I've been divorced twice. And both of my ex-husbands worked for the department. I was co-workers with them at Florence and at Lewis Complex. And I think at the end, in retrospect, our careers did have a lot to do with the stress that's put on top of just the stress of a regular marriage. So I definitely agree with the fact that we are 20% more likely to get divorced. The director also went on to say to the cadets, you are much more likely to die from suicide than to be killed in the line of duty. Many of you will become alcoholics. And if booze isn't your thing, there are lots of other substances or behaviors to become addicted to. So as I read that article, I reread it about five times. And I imagine my first day in the academy being scared to death, not knowing what the heck I just signed up for. And then I read these numbers and it's so true. There's absolute truth behind what this director was telling this academy class. So here's an interesting fact as well. Take all the COs in the nation. In this particular survey, 10% of them have considered suicide at some point in their career. Now, you might be thinking, as I was when I first saw that, that seems really low. And I know it has to be more than that because I've seen it. I've heard about it. I've read about it for 17 years. The flip side of that is 73% of correctional officers haven't told anybody that they have considered suicide. So what does that tell you? That tells you that they're suffering in silence. They are too afraid to stand up and to tell anybody that they are considering committing suicide. They are considering taking their own lives. That is not okay. So one of the biggest reasons, again, why I started this podcast, I want that statistic to change. I need that statistic to change. Also, I found a couple interesting articles on the National Reentry Resource Center. So overall, correctional officers are at a risk 
that is 39% higher of committing suicide than all other professions combined. Now, I'm just not referencing first responders. That is every single profession out there you can think of. Doctors, lawyers, dentists, retail, clerical staff, anything you can think of, we are 39% higher of a risk of suicide. Again, that statistic does not sit well with me. I need that to be lower. You need that to be lower. Our loved ones need that to be lower. And also, in 2011, there was a survey conducted. In that survey, 50% of correctional officers reported having either post-traumatic stress syndrome or an elevated suicide risk. So why is that, you might be asking? Not all of my listeners are my coworkers. So I just kind of wanted to touch on this for a minute. Corrections is a very different profession. We see things that a lot of the public doesn't get to see. We hear a lot of what the public doesn't get to hear. It's not every day is like the movies, but there are some days that are exactly like the movies, and it can be very, very traumatic. Now, I will say that my particular department has an employee assistance program that I think is just absolutely incredible. We get free psychological visits. There's a lot of perks to it. So for my wonderful coworkers listening, if you need to reach out to that program, you really need to, and you can remain anonymous, okay? I want you to be comfortable with that. I think the general public underestimates how difficult it is to work in a prison. It's not just keeping the public safe from these offenders, it's keeping each other safe. And also, it's keeping offenders safe from other offenders. So we are the first line of defense, and we are the last line of defense. And everything that's in between that can really, really do a number on your mental health. I will say that I will be the first one to admit right now that since I've started working for the department, I do have issues with anxiety. I used to suffer from OCD extremely bad, and I had a couple other mental health concerns going on, which, thank God, I finally felt strong enough to seek help, get on medication, And I will say I am far better than I was before, and I'm far better equipped to deal with the things that we see on a routine basis in corrections. So let's take the Oregon Department of Corrections as another example. I won't just limit it to just Arizona. So 20% of correctional officers in that particular department say that they've experienced mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, traumatic stress, OCD, trouble sleeping. I also think that that number is probably a lot higher in reality. But again, it's that silent stigma. No one wants to stand up and say that they have those issues. 
Because why? Because we're strong. We have to stay strong behind the badge. We have to put on that uniform and turn into a completely different person who is void of emotions and void of feelings. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm here to remind you, that's just not the case. We are no different in the uniform than we are outside the uniform. I am Jacole Martinez every single day, no matter what I'm doing or where I'm doing it. You are you every single day, whether you're at work or enjoying your weekend. It's just not plausible to expect people in corrections to just turn off their filter and turn off their emotions and go to work and just be, just get through it. Who cares that you saw someone get killed? Who cares that you saw someone hurt themselves? It doesn't matter that that stuff is not supposed to bother you. Well, I'm here to tell you it does bother you and it bothers a lot of people in the department. And it bothers a lot of our loved ones too. The reason why our stress levels don't decrease when we get home is because what's one of the first things we do when we get home? We try to de-stress by talking about our day. We call a friend, we talk to our spouse, we talk to our loved ones, and we recap the day. So we're reliving the experiences, we're reliving the traumas all over again, and we're in the safety and privacy of our own home. Just think about you're out with your friends for the weekend, and you're either out to dinner, or you're bowling, or you're doing something. What's What do you do when you're in a group of COs? Well, you talk about work. And what do you do? You tell your war stories. And again, you're reliving it all over again. That's actually super unhealthy for us to do. So I'm putting it out there into the world that I want us to stop doing that. If you are a first responder, and especially in the corrections field, stop reliving your trauma. If you had a bad day, process it. Use some healthy coping skills. When you get home, read a book, decompress, watch TV, get on social media, journal. There are lots of things that we can do that don't involve reliving the horrible day. So in Connecticut, there was a recent study of correctional officers. And what they found is corrections officers who worked in a prison environment for 15 years or more were 50% more affected by obesity and 39% from high blood pressure. Now, I bring that up only because, again, for my coworkers listening, are you the same weight you were the day you graduated the academy? I know for an absolute fact, I am not. I am quite heavier than I used to be. I can't bust out the push-ups and the sit-ups the way I did back then. And most of us can say that. Most of us can't sit here right now and say, I am more in shape today than I was when I started. So then I started really delving into different uh, different websites. Um, I really 
felt so passionate about researching this because not only can I talk about it from a personal point of view, but I also wanted to reiterate just how important this topic is. And if you take away nothing from this episode, I want you to know that if you work in any kind of first responder capacity, so again, that's corrections, police, fire, EMTs, I want you to be okay. I want you to find strength in your weakness. And I want you to know that if you are part of those statistics, that you're not alone. In 2011, they conducted a survey and 50% of those people that were made up of corrections reported having either PTSD or an elevated sense of a suicide risk. So I say all this to say that we need to talk about this more. After you finish listening to this, I want the conversation to continue. I want you to go to podinbox.com backslash the silent suicide. Leave me an audio message. Let's talk in the chat room. This is such an important topic, and I will always, for the rest of my life, be super passionate about this. So as we know, corrections is not the only dangerous profession in the world. It's also not the most difficult. It's any kind of first responder to include policemen and firefighters. So the USA Today, they put out an interesting article And I am willing to buy into these statistics because they're a very reputable source, both online and printed. So I just kind of wanted to review it today because, like I said, my father is still a police officer and he's going on, you know, 35 plus years and From what I know, he still absolutely loves it and wouldn't change it for the world. So I think if we're going to talk about corrections, we also need to talk about police because it starts on the streets. They arrest them, we keep them. That's kind of the cycle. So USA Today said that police and fire are more likely to die by suicide than in the line of duty. Now, Let's consider that statement in today's climate. How many times do we turn on the news and we see yet another story about a police officer either getting shot or killed? But all of that combined, police and fire are still more likely to die from suicide. To me, that is so sad. That absolutely bothered me when I read that. That just, it doesn't sit well with me. So in 2020, nationwide, 116 police officers killed themselves, but only 113 of them died in the line of duty. So two years ago, 116 police officers decided that they didn't want to live anymore, that they had nothing left to give to the world. Again, that bothers me because society, the world, the nation, we need police officers. 
We need police officers out there making sure that we are safe. In that same study, also in 2020, 127 suicides occurred between firefighters and EMTs. So that's even more than police officers. That's a lot of people who, again, decided that they had nothing left to offer the world. When they were doing a very noble job, they were doing a very necessary job. So again, we have to change that. We have to change the narrative. So the University of Phoenix did a survey, and I pulled this statistic purely for selfish reasons, because I got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice through the University of Phoenix. So I felt a little impartial. But they said in 2019 that nearly half of all first responders believe that there would be consequences to seeking help for their mental health concerns. Now, let that sink in for a second. Half, half of us who are first responders don't want to tell our employers that we are suffering, that we are hurting because we're afraid. And you might be asking, well, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of getting fired. We're afraid of getting time off. We're afraid of not getting promoted. We're afraid of word getting out that you're not right in the head. And all of that really feeds into that negative stigma that by damn, I'm going to do everything that I can think of to turn that around. It's okay to seek help. You can remain anonymous, but even if you don't want to remain anonymous, your employer should be able to applaud you and be excited for you to want to seek help. I'm sure everyone remembers what happened on January 6th of last year. So for those of you that are not familiar with what I'm referencing, I'm talking about the siege that happened at the U.S. Capitol. Now, this podcast will never be political because, frankly, it's just too polarizing. And the purpose is to bring us together, not tear us apart. But there is a reason why I'm bringing up that date and that incident. So I doubt that you know, I doubt that you knew that four police officers that responded to that scene that day killed themselves just weeks after that incident. So let me say that again. Four police officers killed themselves after responding to the siege at the U.S. Capitol. That is so alarming to me. This happened at the beginning of January. By the end of January, the world was void of four more police officers. That is not okay. The biggest takeaway that I want us to think about, not just while we're at work, but also in our daily lives, I found a quote that really, really resonated with me, and I wanted to share it with you. So the quote was, they are having a normal reaction to the abnormal things we see and hear on the job every day. And that's exactly what I said at the beginning of this episode. 
we are expected to react in a normal fashion to the abnormal, crazy, and sometimes violent things that we see and hear in our job every single day. So I really hope that everyone listening will share this podcast with someone, will share the information that I've presented, because it continues the conversation. It spreads awareness. It decreases the taboo behind suicide and mental health issues. And I want people not only in my profession, but just first responders and anyone in general to know that it's okay to not be okay. And I want you to get help if that's what you need. If you need a friend to talk to, if you need a shoulder to cry on, I want you to call me. I want you to text me and I will love you when you feel like you can't love yourself. So we end every episode by my saying, being different makes you special. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we're going to talk about obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD for short. So tune in to next week's episode to talk about that. I love you all. Have an absolutely fantastic week. I love you and have a great week. Bye.